Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Definitely. All right, now, right now it's time for On Bounds with Leland Vittert. I'm Elizabeth Vargas. Thanks so much for joining us. See you again tomorrow. Tonight, Hamas's strategy exposed. As Israel closes in, Hamas welcomes more pictures like these. Why the world and even President Biden keep playing into Hamas's hand. Hello, Hadley. I'm speaking out because women and girls need to have options. Abortion causes massive Republican losses in Ohio, Virginia, and Kentucky. Will the Hadley strategy work in 2024? And we'll tell you the more important takeaway from last night. Boom times. Americans get rich quick by taking it off fast. How the porn star next door is America's biggest growth industry. And grizzlies among us. The Biden administration wants to reintroduce big bears to Washington state. Big bear chase me! What could possibly go wrong? Get off! Get off, you son of a... Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. Republicans got an old-fashioned whooping last night in Ohio, Virginia, and Kentucky. Not to be immodest, our prediction proved true. But we were wrong about the biggest takeaway from the election. I'll tell you what that is in a minute. But first tonight, we now know Hamas's strategy for its war with Israel. Hamas wants more and more Palestinians to die so the world does its dirty work for them. So just think about how today went. It's a little bit like Groundhog Day, right? More people dead, more horrific images coming out of Gaza, and more calls for a ceasefire. Hamas loves every second of it. If Hamas cared about Palestinians, they would immediately give up their hostages in return for a ceasefire. That's the deal that's been put on the table by the Israelis. Remember in the beginning... They released four hostages. That was before Israel's ground offensive. That was when it appeared as though Hamas thought they may have overstepped. It was also at a time when the world was truly appalled by Hamas's October 7th attack. That was the attack, of course, that Hamas flew in on paragliders and shot people in the back. That is the attack when babies were baked alive in ovens. That was the attack when Hamas shot up cars full of civilians. That was the attack when Hamas gunmen cut open pregnant women. But now things are a little different, right? 
Because we don't hear that much about the attack. We don't even hear about the hostages. All we hear about is civilians in Gaza. And Hamas thinks public opinion is on their side. Right now, the Israeli noose is tightening. Yeah. And Palestinians are being held by Hamas as human shields. Hamas won't release any more of the 240 hostages. For as bad as things are above ground in Gaza, it's a lot worse for the 240 hostages below ground in Gaza. Meantime, the world is blaming Israel for all the suffering in Gaza. How does bombing a densely populated land strip filled 50% with children constitute self-defense? How does bombing hospitals, churches, mosques, and UN schools constitute self-defense? If Hamas is using the schools and the mosques to put their rockets, then it is self-defense. So, of course, course, Hamas won't release the hostages to get aid or a ceasefire. The international community is already doing that for them. There are already all sorts of calls for a ceasefire, for humanitarian pauses. There's already demands on Israel to get aid in. Aid is already getting in. This way, Hamas gets to keep the hostages and get the sympathy of the world. The Israelis claim Hamas lost control of northern northern Gaza, but Hamas shows no desire for a ceasefire or a pause or whatever you want to call it. Uh, The Israelis right now report oxygen systems and weapon stockpiles were in the Hamas tunnels. So far, the tunnels, and we have some video of the tunnels that they have uncovered. Well, there's weapon systems inside of those and oxygen. Hamas is ready for a long fight. The New York Times reports a Hamas media advisor saying, I hope that the state of war with Israel will become permanent on all borders and that the Arab world will stand with us. Hamas also promises to keep attacking Israel over and over. A thousand October 7th, they have said. That's not hyperbole. They've said it over and over and over again. Congressman Sheree Fenadar says he has another plan. He wants Israel to institute a 72-hour humanitarian pause to negotiate the release of hostages and the surrender of Hamas leadership. And President Obama would become the chief negotiator. At the end of 72 hours, if, quote, sufficient progress has not been made, then Israel can resume its counterattack to destroy Hamas. Congressman is with us now, member of the Committee on Homeland Security. It's good to see you, sir. I appreciate it. Um, Does it make a difference to you that Hamas has already rejected this plan out of hand? They're not going to turn over their leadership. True, true. But we got to really fight and get rid of Hamas. Destroying Hamas destroying their military infrastructure is the only long-lasting solution. You know, look, we can't just push them away. We can't just punish them a little bit and say, cease fire and let's just stop everything because they're going to regroup and come back and do the same thing over and over again. No, no argument with you there, right? Yeah. I, I, I take no quarrel with that. But then I look at your, the statement you put out and you're asking Israel to unilaterally stop their counter-assault and unilaterally, in your words, give an olive branch to people who are holding 240 of their hostages. Shouldn't it be Hamas that's giving the olive branch? Absolutely, but it's only for 72 hours, and we pause for humanitarian reasons, get those hostages out, have a negotiator that negotiates, and if that doesn't work, we continue pounding on Hamas until they are destroyed. Well, forgive me, but doesn't Hamas have to say that they're willing to give up the hostages before the pause happens? Or the pause happen, happens and we negotiate and get those hostages out. What gives, you, what gives you the idea that Hamas, that could release all the hostages now, that could negotiate a ceasefire, if there's suddenly a pause, is going to do this? 
Well, that's the best way to try because we got to get these hostages out. But at the same time, our long-term game plan has to be destroying Hamas and off, off for the face of this earth. So, so for, for, forgive me, I just don't understand how those two things can happen at once. The Israelis, who I think understand Hamas better than just about anybody because they've fought against him now for 20 years, they say the only thing that will happen in a pause is Hamas is going to rearm. They're going to be able to move the hostages deeper into Gaza. They're going to be able to reassemble their fighters. Why would we do that if the end goal is destroying Hamas? Well, we give them one chance because it's, we have two goals. One is get all of those innocent people held hostage by Hamas, get them out uh, and to their freedom. Secondly, we need to destroy Hamas. We, okay. Hamas needs to be completely destroyed. United so States. So if, if we're telling Hamas we're going to destroy you, okay, why would they release the hostages that there's their only insurance policy? Why? What, what are they going to get? After 72 hours, if they don't comply, uh, we go pound them and destroy them and get rid of them and get rid of their military. So what's interest. the point of the 72 hours? Uh, just to give them a chance to uh, release those hostages and surrender. I'm not only saying they need to release the hostages, but the leaders need to surrender. Uh, forgive, they, forgive me, Congressman. And look, yeah. I, I'm all for peace, but I lived there for four years. I know some of these guys. They're not surrendering. It's not, it's not happening. Why is that chance worth allowing them 72 hours to regroup and rearm. It's only three days, but what we'll achieve is we'll have some negotiated uh, understanding to get things done. Uh, but if that doesn't happen, uh, Israel has every right to protect itself, and Israel, we cannot stop Israel from going after Hamas and finishing them off. All right. Uh, let me get at this a slightly different way. And, and look, I understand that you've been very tough about members of the Progressive Caucus. You've come out against Rashida Tlaib, um, who was censured. You didn't vote for the censure, but she's had some quite uh, concerning views about being pro-Hamas and, and apologizing and calling for, for Hamas and apologizing for Hamas and talking about the destruction of the state of Israel and, and the like. But I, I, get call, I get what you're saying. How much of this is there's a lot of Muslim population in your district and you kind of got to be seen as doing something to assuage public opinion? Well, look, the Muslim population needs to understand President Biden has done more for them than the former president. Former president dehumanized the, the Muslims, the Muslim ban that Trump brought in. Uh, so uh, Biden and Trump are no comparison. Biden has been steady. He is standing behind Israel. He has asked for uh, consideration to minimize civilian casualties. So President Biden has done everything possible for the Muslims. All right. Congressman, we appreciate you being here. Thank, Thank you, so you very much. much. Yeah. It's good talking to you. Thank you. Uh, we invite you to sign up for War Notes. That is our free newsletter that come out, comes out at 4 p.m. every day. You go to readwarnotes.com and subscribe. The notes started as our internal email discussion about the most important events and stories of the day between the staff. It's literally how we put the show together every day, and we want you to be a part of it. You can respond to the email with your thoughts. We're going to read some of them on air here. And you can join us, of course, on social media anytime on at Leland Vitter on Instagram or Twitter. That's readwarnotes.com and subscribe for free. We told you last night to never underestimate Republicans' ability to screw things up. And boy, did they get it handed to them last night. Republicans lost the governor's race in a Trump plus 25 state because of abortion. 
They lost the Virginia state legislature because of abortion. They lost an abortion rights referendum in Ohio, well, because of abortion. Reasonable people can agree, and you've heard it on television for 18 hours at least, since you got up, that abortion is a thousand pound anchor now around Republicans' neck, and until they figure out how to deal with it, last night's losses are just the beginning, and that's fine. Let me tell you the far more important lesson from last night, and this you have not yet heard on television. The system worked. Democracy worked. The Supreme Court said abortion was an issue for the states. One on the ballot in Ohio. Abortion is now protected in Ohio by an overwhelming margin, I might add. The system worked. Can't argue with it. Remember after the Dobbs decision, all the talk of the illegitimate Supreme Court that was ruining America? Remember President Biden saying if MAGA Republicans took over Congress, democracy would cease to function? Remember Republicans who wanted to ban abortion everywhere? That didn't happen. Democracy functioned just fine last night. We had fair votes around big issues, and it worked. Not in the way Republicans wanted, perhaps, but in the way the voters wanted. With us now, Sean Spicer, former White House press secretary, News Nation contributor, and Lauren Wright, associate research scholar and lecturer in politics and public affairs, Princeton University. Sean, I know you're sitting next to me, but ladies first. Yeah, uh, Lauren, I mean, I'd give Lauren the There you go. Too. Lauren, okay. uh, how did I do? You agree? Yeah, I do agree. I mean, it's it's impossible to ignore the abortion issue last night. What really surprised me is it's Republicans who made this salient. You know, I understand in 2022 they lost very badly skirting the issue of abortion. So Youngkin and Republicans figured, okay, let's stake out a position. We know the majority of Americans think second and third trimester abortion should be illegal. So we'll put forth this 15-week ban and we'll campaign on it. The problem is, as you and I have talked about many times, Leland, in a post-Dobbs environment, the energy, the anger, the fear is on the Democrat side. And it's like any other personal freedom issue where Democrats worry about their rights being taken away. It's just like gun control, for instance. You know, people wonder, well, if the majority of Americans think that we should have common sense gun reforms, why can't it pass in Congress? Well, it doesn't pass because there's an asymmetry between how much Republican gun owners and Democratic non-gun owners care about the issue and the gun owners yeah, the parts. every single time. Yeah, yeah, the extreme, par- the extreme parts of the party. Um, Sean, look, I don't think you can argue that democracy worked yesterday. That's just sort of sure. the, the, way, the way it happens. How, how much of this is the field of play being defined by Democrats. And how much of this is Republicans playing the short game to be able to win primary elections versus Democrats being able to play the long game? So a, a couple of things. One, there is no second place in politics. So I admit Democrats had a good night last night, right? The reality is, and I, I shared with this earlier in, a, in an op-ed that I put in the Hill, I think we're de- Republicans had a bad strategy. Uh, Lauren pointed this out, this idea of going into it as a 15-week ban was a dumb idea. Strategically, Republicans played this issue wrong up and down the ballot, and they'll continue to play it if they continue to play it wrong, they'll continue to suffer at the ballot box. So, I mean, the premise is right. Democracy did work last night. People got out to vote. No one's complaining the day after. And as I said, I'm not happy about the results, but I accept them. 
I think Republicans need to learn how to how to run better campaigns, message better. Um, we and and I, look again. I'm not trying to sugarcoat anything, but I can walk through. I mean, in, in Virginia, Republicans were down by two two seats in the in the state Senate. They picked one up. They actually improved their standing in the state Senate. They lost in the House of Delegates in Kentucky. Every state, every statewide race went Republican except for the incumbent governor, who's very popular. So. It's not great. You don't get a second place trophy in politics, but it, this was not a wipeout for Republicans. Yeah, the, you said Andy Bashir, about Andy Bashir in Kentucky, yep. Republican plus twenty five state, and Bashir wins by five points. Uh, I've never seen this happen in all the, my time covering politics. I don't know if either of you had the winning candidate thanked effectively uh, in one individual by name uh, in his acceptance speech, victory speech. Uh, that was the subject of a campaign ad. We're going to show you the ad. Take a listen. She is a brave young woman who came forward to share her story, to speak for so many that couldn't speak for themselves. And because of her courage, this Commonwealth is going to be a better place. To tell a 12-year-old girl she must have the baby of her stepfather who raped her is unthinkable. I'm speaking out because women and girls need to have options. Lauren, I'm thinking about the rule of physics, right? Uh, this isn't political science, but, uh, you know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Um, the equal and opposite reaction to Roe was the fight by Republicans for so long. Uh, then they won. And now we're seeing the equal and opposite reaction to that is it seems as though every state's going to kind of end up having to figure it out on their own the way they want it. And now we're going to have to go through 2024 with Hadley ads across the country. That's exactly right. There will be so many more ads like this. And there are a lot of stories like this. And as long as some Republicans have the position of no exceptions ever, that will be painted as the party's position. And that's what any strategic political operator would do. Really, the success Democrats have had, I will say, is quite striking because they have two popular positions right now. And I think it's two only. It's it's pro-legalized abortion and anti-Donald Trump. And they've won a lot with those because they lose on education, as Youngkin saw Mm. when he got into office the first time. They're losers on the economy. They're losers on crime and immigration. And they're losers on foreign policy. And as you pointed out right, in your Lauren, first segment, you got, there are members Lauren of the House the first that are, for all intents and purposes, Hamas sympathizers. That would typically be good for Republicans. Yeah, and we, yeah, in every possible way. Uh, you got the first word. I'm going to give Sean the last word for about, for about 30 seconds. What I think is fascinating is the one Republican who's been beating the drum that this is going to be terrible for Republicans is Donald Trump. Right. But this plays to the point that I just made. He understands that the messaging's been wrong. I mean, the idea Cameron bubbled so this, so this, this is, idea. So this isn't a policy. This isn't but about policies. Party. This is about messaging? Absolutely. Democrats have the extreme position. All of the Democrats right now have yet to have to answer to a position that allows abortion up to birth. That's the extreme position. And I live in Virginia where we were bombarded with ads. Every single Democrat running for office in Virginia painted the Republican as the MAGA extremist that was taking their right away. And not one Republican went on offense on this issue. Not one. And it's the Republican. It's the Democrats. Is Donald Trump Trump talking about this right now, you said? Okay. We just have a soundbite from Donald Trump, uh, Donald Trump Jr. talking about this. Take a listen. 
Oh, sorry. This is coming up. Uh, Trump's going to have a rally here in Florida in a, in a few minutes. Uh, real quick, is that, a, is that it because Democrats just have the media on their side? Some of it, sure. Yeah. But look, at the end of the day, Republicans, especially in Virginia, had a former governor, Ralph Northam, a doctor, that said everything yeah. that they needed to say on tape. They just needed to play it over and over again, and they cowered like a bunch of little babies in the fetal position instead of going on offense. And this is what Republicans need to realize. If they kind of play prevent defense and talk about a 15-week ban instead of fighting fire with fire, they will continue to lose. All right. Good to see you. Good Sean, see. thank you. Lauren, good to see you as always. Thank you very much. We'll never truly know Taylor Swift's impact on yesterday's election. She posted on her Instagram stories yesterday to, quote, go vote. So who exactly is she inspiring to go vote? Take a look at the people who attended her concert in major cities and key swing states. 210,000 in Atlanta, 120,000 in Detroit, 140,000 in Glendale, Arizona, another 200,000 in Philly, 138,000 showed up in Vegas. Sean's shaking his head here. In Ohio, 100,000 went to see her in Cleveland. Most of these shows were sold out, and the tickets went for a lot of money. If just 10% of those people heard her message to go vote in 2024, 10% of the 200,000 in Philadelphia, that changes things in Georgia, Michigan, Arizona, Philly, and Nevada, swing states. She is overwhelmingly popular with young women, especially women who vote overwhelmingly Democratic. And they listened to her. On September 19th, National Voter Registration Day, with one Instagram post, vote.org saw 35,000 new registrations, 25% jump from the same day the previous year, a 115% increase in 18-year-olds registering. They listened to Taylor Swift. Coming up next, the only fan star next door that could be America's biggest growth industry She'll be with us. And one Michigan town fought back against a Chinese company's attempt to change their way of life. How their successful fight against the Chinese. This town took on China and won their playbook next. You never really know who's living next door. And it's never been more true than now. We quit our frontline jobs to do OnlyFans. Here's some of the headlines recently. We take public service seriously. I quit my day job for OnlyFans. My family had no idea. Her legal job was making her miserable, so this woman quit and says she found freedom and happiness on OnlyFans. Former Missouri teacher who created OnlyFans account says she made nearly a million dollars. OnlyFans is a website where anybody can sell videos of themselves, often pornographic, and the money's good, really good. OnlyFans people report taking in $150,000 to $200,000. Compare that to a teacher in Illinois who makes $45,000, police officer $70,000, marketing jobs $80,000. Ray Richmond joined the site with her boyfriend after a divorce. She joins us now. And then her friends found her on the site. And this is what I'm always fascinated by, uh, is people who seem to have such a problem with these websites miraculously find the people who are on them. Ray? Hi. Hi. I, I'm, I'm curious about your story. How did this work? People evidently who in your neighborhood found, found you miraculously because if they would judge you for these sites, they, of course, would never be looking at them. Exactly. I'm really not sure how it happened, to be honest. I just know that one day 
people back in my hometown. I come from a really small town. And uh, they started posting about it on social media. And some people were tagging my real name and my fake name, because obviously this is a stage name. But they were tagging those two names together and just outing me to everybody, um, talking about what a terrible person I was. I heard how I was going to go to hell and I was serving Satan and all these crazy things that are definitely not true. So it was quite a shock. Let me ask you this. Why do you think still in 2023, uh, this is kind of the last taboo that seems to exist that people are allowed to be judgmental about? For my part, I feel like they don't really understand what's going on. A lot of people um, attach a stigma to it that really I personally don't feel should exist. I think it's creative self-expression. I mean, that's what it is for me. Um, I'm 56 years old. I wouldn't have even thought about doing this myself um, up until about a year ago. So I understand not wanting to do that, that themselves, but I don't understand the judgment. So I feel like that people do tend to judge, and especially when it's something they don't understand. Um, I like to make people understand. You know, I came at this with eyes wide open. I knew I'd have to have a thick skin, and unfortunately, it was people yeah. close to me that did that from. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's often the people closest to you who can wound the most, right? Uh, Mandy Rose, evidently who's with the WWE and World World Wrestling, um, she's made more than a million dollars since she left WWE, um, and so she made more money doing doing this than she is what doing what you were doing. I, I guess does is there something about that this the amount of money that's going around here and now that. Forgive me, but anybody from their bedroom or home studio downstairs or whatever can do what used to only be able to be made out in the valley in California that was all hush-hush um, and bought in, in CD stores. How has that changed the dynamic? Oh, it's changed it in so many ways. It's really become more mainstream now because I literally am the MILF next door. I mean, that's kind of one of my little things that people like to call me because I'm just a regular person who you know, started filming with my boyfriend and we decided to go you know, public with it. So um, I'm not ashamed of it and I want to make that clear. So people finding out about it doesn't bother me. Obviously, I'm on, on TV right now talking about it. Yeah, you're, you're on TV talking about it. Hey, look, right. I, so I it doesn't say, bother me, but yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, it's interesting. And also, look, I mean, in, in times like this, what, you know, the there's a lot of people who are trying to find ways to make ends meet and make extra money, teachers, police officers, all this kind of stuff. So, hey, we appreciate you coming on and talking about this. You had a great piece in the Huffington Post about it. I encourage anybody to read it. Thank you. Uh, we Thank do you broadcast so every day from Washington, D.C. Not by choice, but sort of by requirement. And we take a dim view of D.C. and the people here. And perhaps we take a dim view because we live in D.C., And you think about it, so much of America, you hear this all the time, wishes they could just throw the bums out. In Green Township, Michigan, they did throw the bums out. We are beyond happy, ecstatic, ecstatic over this. Um, We weren't sure how it was going to go, but you know what? We wanted the people to have a voice, and the people have had a voice, and they have spoke loudly, and that is, get out of here, Goshen, and get out of here, Green Township Board. Democracy in action, you might say. That's Lori Brock. She owns a horse farm in Michigan. We've had her on the show a number of times. She's been the backbone behind a movement to recall or fire the town board over a Chinese-owned battery plant. 
It's an election story you will only see here on News Nation. We're the only network covering it. The town board approved a deal for a massive battery plant that would have brought thousands of jobs and tens of millions of dollars in investment. The town board approved the deal, which didn't set well with the town folk. They didn't like the company's ties to the Communist Chinese Party. News Nation's Brian Enton has been following this story from the very beginning. It, what amazes me, Brian, the governor wouldn't stand up to the Chinese. The state legislature wouldn't stand up to the Chinese. The town board wouldn't stand up to the Chinese, but the citizens did. Yeah, Leland, everybody sort of laughed at these, these citizens, these regular American people for the last uh, six months to a year, uh, and they ended up winning. They ousted their entire local government. We're in the town hall right now, Leland. It's kind of bizarre because it's all empty. Everybody packed up that was elected and left last night. Uh, you see the treasurer's office uh, is empty. There's going to be someone new that moves in, the clerk. Uh, she's been here today going through all the boxes and papers, the new clerk. Uh, they're trying to figure out what to do in here. It's a very, very strange situation. Uh, there's sort of papers all over the place. You wonder what this would be like if it happened at the state or national level. Uh, we talked to, uh, to one of the new board members about, about what's going on here. The entire local government was ousted here last night. New board, including yes. you, put in. Yes. What do you say to Americans in other parts of the country who are watching this thinking, gosh, you know, I want to get rid of my elected people. I don't, they're not doing a good job. I mean, what's the message? Oh, great, great. The main question uh, message is uh, the democratic process works. If the American people get involved and will go through the right steps and mobilize people and get people involved and, and educate them on the issues and the facts, uh, then the, the democratic process and this country is still alive and well, and it works. So there's going to be a whole new local government here in this rural part of Michigan, Leland, and the goal is they want to stop this Chinese-owned, this Chinese-affiliated company uh, from coming to their town. Hmm. Well, Brian, I would also add that it works when journalists show up like you. You've, you've covered this story from the very beginning. You fought for it. Um, there's not a lot of national uh, correspondents who say, hi, hey, I want to be in Green Township, Michigan on election night. You did because of uh, your reporting on this. What's real quick? What's their chance to actually stop the Chinese factory? I mean, it seems pretty good. Look, the old township board signed off. They have a development deal with the company, uh, which is which is named Goshen. Uh, but now that there's a new board in charge, they can change the zoning rules they can file a lawsuit. I mean, there's a lot they can do. And plus, does this company really want to come to a place where the entire local government is against them and the people voted that way just yesterday? So, so we're going to follow it to see, uh, to see the way it all, it all turns out. If you asked me six months ago whether I thought they were actually going to be yeah. successful in ousting their entire local government, I would have been like, mm, that's tough. Well, here we are. The building's empty. The new government moves in tomorrow. And not only were the citizens fighting the town board, but they were fighting the town board supporters, because we know that Goshen has, has done a lot to try and uh, influence folks in Michigan um, to build this plant. Brian, thank you very much. Coming up next, it's not necessarily a First Amendment issue. It's a right versus wrong issue. Why colleges are failing so many students to give in to the hatred of so few will follow the money. Witnessing such unbridled and unapologetic anti-Semitism unfold on my college campus is a testament to the impacts of permitting Jew hatred to fester and infect the mob mentality of impressionable students. And student organizations have been fueling Jew hatred and spreading it across campus with disregard or potentially even with deliberate intent to incite. Free Palestine! Anti-Zionism! 
Committee will be in war. Committee will be in order. Got a lot of that today. Uh, Cornell student Amanda Silberstein on Capitol Hill today talking about the hate and violence she's experienced on her college campus of Cornell. And we're now learning why colleges that always make such a fuss about providing safe spaces will do precisely nothing to protect their Jewish students. Of course, it's about liberalism and progressivism, but it's also about following the money. New research links donations from Middle Eastern countries to top colleges and universities. Researchers found, not surprisingly, the larger the donation, the bigger the attacks on Jewish students on campus. Interestingly enough, Cornell University has received, well, a lot of money from Middle Eastern countries, $1.5 billion over the last 30 years. Cornell is also where we've seen a number of disturbing protests with students singing pro-terrorist chants. And then this former professor's reaction to October 7th. It was exhilarating. Exhilarating and energizing. Not to mention, of course, the Cornell student who was recently arrested after posting on a student forum, watch out Jew pigs, jihad is coming, and he threatened to rape Jewish women and shoot all Jews. Amanda Silberstein is with us now. Amanda, I appreciate you being here. Um, I think we can all agree that if it was a pro-KKK march on Cornell's campus, there would be a different response. Why do you think when it comes to the issue of, in, I'll use your words, Jew hatred, it's different? It's, it's a very difficult issue to, to kind of break down. I mean, I think that Jew hatred has been around since the beginning of time and that Israel is a very contested territory. Um, of course, the Jewish people have, um, you know, demonstrated their long ties to the land. And um, it brings about a lot of political political conversations that make a lot of people uncomfortable. Um, but ultimately, um, what these protests are calling for are the genocide of the Jewish people and um, are inciting hatred mm -hmm. of Jewish people in an, under a numerous, numerous college campuses yeah. and just all over the country as well. Now, we, we've made the point that calling this anti-Semitism is really kind of understating the problem, right? Because anti-Semitism can also be uh, people not liking bagels or people saying, you know, they don't want to have somebody in a certain club or whatever. This is different when you're actually calling for the murder of people mm -hmm. from the river to the sea and the, and the like. I, I, I admire you. How do you go to school every day with people around you who you know have been chanting these things? It is very difficult. I mean, I, I come from a background where I, I went to a Jewish school and I came to Cornell really wanting to find a diverse environment in which I could learn and grow from other cultures and religions. And, you know, when I, when I arrive at this place where I think I'm going to be able to explore uh, different identities and it's supposed to be, you know, a beacon of tolerance and, and it's a place that acts as a safe haven, uh, feeling very isolated and alienated by the administration as well as, you know, other students on campus who, who say they want to destroy me is, is frankly terrifying and always keeps me on edge. I can imagine it's terrifying. You said something interesting about uh, diverse cultures and wanting to explore things and tolerance. There's been no better friend, really, to the progressive movement in America and all certainly to the civil rights movement in America than, than the Jews throughout time, throughout history in, in the United States and throughout American politics. There were Jewish kids who died registering blacks to vote in the South. Mm -hmm. How does it make you feel now that so many of those same voices are now the ones calling for the killing of Jews? 
It feels a bit like being stabbed in the back, to be honest. I mean, a lot of even even progressive Jews are now are now finding themselves in identity crises, kind of trying to reevaluate where where their views lie. Um, and I'd imagine so. Yeah, uh, when when you know their peers and people who they used to ally themselves with are now calling for their destruction. So it's it's definitely a lot of conflicting yeah. opinions. Yeah, identity crisis is uh, something. It's great to talk to you, and nice uh, to you. I admire you being willing to come out and talk about it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Coming up next, Ivanka, the latest Trump family member to testify to fraud charges leveled against the former president. There's a courtroom sketch what her day in court may mean for her dad's chances in 2024. And something interesting is happening about Ivanka's future. We'll tell you that coming up next. All right, the fourth and final member of the Trump family testified today in the New York civil fraud trial. She leaned on the Sergeant Schultz defense for much of the day, echoing statements from her brothers that she knew nothing, had no role in her father's personal financial statements. The attorney general's office rested its case today. Trump's attorneys will argue their defense starting on Monday. Chris is here. Uh, How are you covering this tonight, Chris? I'm not. Um, Uh, I have never been given any reason uh, to believe that uh, uh, Ivanka Trump is a material witness or that they're coming for her. I think this is a lot of noise. I think that the cases, uh, this case in particular, was a mistake to bring. Uh, And I know a lot of people will say no one's above the law. You're not going to find me a lot of people who have been prosecuted for this. I think they should have focused um, on not even the documents, really, because that was such an obvious absurdity for Trump to do. And their defense of it was equally absurd. But the election interference stuff is the only thing that really matters to the American people. And I think flooding the zone like this was a mistake and feeds the equal and opposite narrative that the institutions are being abused. And uh, yeah, look, I was just watching, was just watching Don yeah. Jr. at the rally that's going on, parallel to the debate. And sure, it's just all the greatest, you know, hits and misses in terms of facts. But they speak about these litigations exclusively as a plus for them, as proof uh-huh. of the perfidy of the deep state. All right. Well, yeah. Look, Trump's numbers have gone up with each indictment. You've talked about it. I've talked about it. What do you got on the show tonight? So. Uh, tonight, we are going to look at what is happening in the state of play right now. I believe that this, uh-oh, they're getting nervous about Biden, is media hype, okay? Hmm. I know Democrats in power in the DNC and around Biden. Surprise. Um, the idea that <laughs> Axelrod was telling him to leave is really BS, okay? And I'm going to play for people what Axelrod said. And then you'll see that this is all spin. Uh, and th- are they concerned? They should be. They don't have any good polls. And whatever they think about the economy is clearly not shared by a majority of the American people. Yeah. So they got big problems. But, you know, the media does this, man. We, we want change. We want to push dynamics. And now the dynamic is, are they going to get rid of Biden? And we like that as a storyline. It doesn't mean anything about how you feel about Biden necessarily. But we like change. We like action. It's the new you know, news. I feel like, and Chris, so they're I, we got to run. I just want to say, I'm just, I'm just shocked that you know people in the Democratic Party. I'm <laughs> floored. I know our viewers are surprised, too. It's always good to learn something about a, about a friend. We'll see you at the top of the hour. Uh, <laughs> They'd be really next. shocked if they knew what Republicans I talk to all the time. <laughs>
<laughs> Tomorrow. Coming up next, it seems painfully obvious, really painfully obvious, that grizzly bears and people don't mix. You might even say, don't let the bears out. That lesson is lost on our federal government. They want to release dozens of bears around towns in Washington state. What happens if those bears are, well, smarter than the average bear? You forget, and I quote myself, I'm smarter than the average bear. So Yogi Bear never made it out of Jellystone Park, but a new proposal by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service will give grizzly bears the run of a huge area in northern Washington state. They want to release seven bears a year in an area that doesn't currently have grizzlies. The government hopes to have a population of 200 grizzly bears in the area over the next five to ten years. Congressman Dan Newhouse represents northern Washington state and joins us now. Congressman, you don't have to be smarter than the average bear to think that releasing grizzly bears into a populated area is a bad idea. Why is this a thing? That's a really good question, Leland. It was something that I've been asking for several years now, because this isn't the first time that this has been proposed and tried. We've been able to stop it previously. But the Biden administration, with the National Park Service, the Fish and Wildlife Service, They are determined, I think, uh, before the end of this administration, because they don't know what's going to happen in the election next year. They want to get this done very soon. They're determined to to bring these bears into north central Washington. And it's it's a huge, huge problem. And I I think you're going to have one of my constituents on that you're you're trying to. We we had we had some problem. We had some problems with his his connection we don't think it had anything to do with bears but there was a there was a problem (laughs) map area of where this is the north cascades uh, north cascades national park in northern washington along the u.s canada border and then there's also a forest area that is managed by uh the united states that would uh, i have no idea what that map shows because i have no idea where seattle or anything else is in relation to it but it there's a lot of wilderness and then there's ranchers and everything else uh, grizzly bear fact, 700 pounds, 30 miles an hour, four inch long claws, 90 pounds of food a day, a thousand pounds of bite force. I-, I get if they're a threatened species, you want to try to save them and everything. But why would you I, I, give them their best argument? Why do you want to do this in a populated area? So this is north central Washington state. Uh, this is a it's a it's a wilderness area near Canada that we're talking about. Okanagan uh, County. And some of the most, and this is not an exaggeration, some of the most rugged country on the planet. Um, My contention is, Leland, that if this was a great place for grizzly bears, and there have been sightings over the years, I have to admit that. The last one was in 1996, I believe, that there would already be bears there. But it's just not a conducive habitat. But what you did see in that picture there's farmland on the edge of the, of the, of the, of the mountains. Yeah. There's livestock operations, apple orchards. You've heard of Washington State apples. Bears sure. love fruit. If they can't find food in the forest, guess where they're going to go? And the people of Okanagan County have made it very clear they do not want these bears there. Yeah, I think you make a great point, right? Because we've seen this before. If the bears can't find what they need, and if they're not already there, maybe it's because they can't find what they need, then they come back down. Um, I'll give- For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. 
and the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.